Welcome to the Coach and Doc podcast, hosted by Coach Chris Cutcliffe and Dr. Hunter Taylor. Our mission is to bring you insight from the best of the best in the coaching profession. If you'd like to learn more about the work we do at Coach and Doc, please visit our website, www.coachanddoc.com. Our next guest is Brady Heslip, former European professional basketball player and current general manager of the Scarborough Shooting Stars in the Canadian Elite Basketball League. In Brady's first year as the GM, the Shooting Stars captured the league title, solidifying Heslip as an executive on the rise. Brady is most remembered, however, for his exciting collegiate career at Baylor and his time with the Canadian national team, where he became known as one of the best shooters on the planet. He's a phenomenal worker with a mind that's always learning, and I was so excited to get to pick his brain and be reunited with an old friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Brady Heslin. He's always a nice thing. No question. Well, I'm super curious about this. Like, I, I mean, obviously, I kept up with you. Uh, in your pro career and everything, like so many of us did, and we're so proud of you. But like, how do you go about preparing to be a general manager? And I know you're a student of this stuff, and kind of like a, you know, you got your uncle and, and your father's. I mean, you're a yeah. basketball student, but still, I got to think there's a learning curve. So, how did you prepare? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, you know, for one, I've always been sort of a uh, throw me in the fire and let me learn kind of person. And, you know, in order for that to happen, I think people need to take a chance on you. Um, right. And, you know, everybody starts somewhere. Everybody starts as a, as a rookie or, or as, um, you know, fresh to something new when, when they do it. And so someone has to give that person an an opportunity to be in it and, and, and learn on the go. And so really how it came about was, um, every summer during my pro career, I would come back to Toronto and I would play at these, these two different tournaments. One was called the crown league and one was called the OVO bounce. And it was a big deal. It was sort of like, you know, that was the time when summer basketball in Toronto was certainly at its best, right? We had NBA people here. The Raptors won a championship during that stretch. It was, it was a big deal. And so there's a guy named Nico and he's part of the whole OVO crew and he's an you know entrepreneur on his own and another guy named Giancarlo who is sort of in the music business um and they were my guys through that and so they were the ones who brought this team into fruition mm-hmm. um and and you know joined the Canadian Elite Basketball League that had been around for some years but had you know I I guess needed a little boost, so to speak. Not that it wasn't going to turn out to be successful, but these guys with their marketing prowess and, and everything else were, were a, a welcome addition. And so they tapped me right away and they said, yeah, we need you to be the GM. Um, and so I said, for sure. Um, you know, I, I stopped playing basketball. I went back to school. I got my MBA. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing uh, different stuff now, right? I'm on to the next phase. I'm, I'm learning, I'm doing new things. And so this was a way for me to um, have another thing on the go outside of everything day to day. And so I've, I've always been the kind of person that I like a lot of stuff going on. I like having to juggle priorities and, um, you know, expectations. So I was, I was all in. Um, and, you know, really the way I dealt with the learning curve was one, I thought about what were all of my interactions with GMs when I was a player mm-hmm you know, it was, it was basically like, am I going to get paid on time this month or what, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, 
but also thinking, taking a step back and thinking about, you know, how do you put a team together that, you know, one is going to work for everybody involved and two is, is the team that you think is going to be the best to, to make the organization successful. Um, there was definitely a very steep learning curve for me. I will say that, you know, briefly commenting on my experience so far, um, you don't realize as a player how many people are involved with a team. Yep. Um, I always tried to be the kind of person who would thank, you know, the, the, the trainers and the, the water boys and the assistant coaches and the video guys. And it, it is, it is, uh, it's pretty crazy how many stakeholders there are within an organization. And that's even at this level. Yeah. And so making sure that everybody's happy, the coach, oh, you're building a team that the front office wants, but how are the coaches going to feel? What's the coach's strategy on the court? What type of system do they like to play? Are the players that we're trying to put together, do they fit in with that? Um, and so, you know, I think having a, having a, you know, coming from a basketball family and having the basketball experiences that I was privileged to have um, definitely helped me, you know, sort of adapt and figure it out and be able to, um, you know, be the bridge between relationships and, you know, be able to, you know, talk about the business side and, you know, here's what the salary cap is, but then also the basketball and the strategy and here's how this guy's going to fit into what you want to do. And so, um, it's, just, it's been a great experience so far and, uh, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Any models that you particularly looked at maybe in the NBA that I would be familiar with and others that would listen to this, that you're like, I like how they operate from all parties involved of what they've tried to create, how they communicate with each other. Or I really like this GM and how he uh, or she, you know, has a vision, but is very flexible with the coach or whatever that may be. Yeah. Um, I would say there's two, I, I would say there's one, uh, hands-on sort of mentor relationship and there's one sort of, uh, role model aspiration uh, that, that I think of when you, when you ask that question. And the, the first one is a guy named Dan Tolsman and he's the assistant GM of the Raptors now. Um, he was the general manager of the Raptors 905, the year that we won the championship. Yep. And when I got, when I got this job, you know, uh, him and I have kept in contact ever since I played for the 905 and he's just a fantastic guy. The way he's passionate about the game, the way, you know, his story about how he got in, he was in Denver and he got together with Messiah and then he subsequently came to Toronto. Um, and now he's, you know, he's going to be a great general manager one day. I, I really asked him a, a bunch of questions and, and, you know, in my opinion, there are no bad questions. You know, some people will want to say, Oh, if you're going to talk to someone experienced, you better have done your research and ask this, you know, super thoughtful questions. Well, it's like, but what if I've never done it before? Why can I just ask the most basic questions? So that's sort of the approach I took with him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he was, you know, he was fantastic for me. He explained a little bit about, you know, here's how I think about, here's how these relationships go, right? Like, is it, does, do, do the GMs have, you know, influence or say on which guys should be playing or how should they be playing? Or do yeah. you leave that to the coaches? Right. Because my opinion or my view was, the general managers put the coaches in place, right? We select the coaches and we're also going to select the players. So we need to empower everybody down the line to do their job for, right. for us to be successful. And that was sort of the message that I got. So, so some real sort of at the highest level, he's an NBA champion sort of input from, from him. 
Um, and then I would say one organization that I really respect is the Spurs, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a rich history, but I think that it's quite rare in professional sports today to see um, an R.C. Buford and a Greg Popovich that oh, have go, and they, and it's been, yeah. I'm going to guess, the longest run tenure in the NBA. Um, and and that's, that's impressive in and of itself, right? The organization has a reputation of class and playing basketball the right way and finding guys who nobody else knows about at winning championships. And that's cool to me. So it's like, if you can emulate that and, you know, find these guys that end up meshing so well and who are selfless and who care about the team and the team looks good because of that. And everybody then gets a better contract because they showed they can be on a team and we win. It's like, that is the, you know, definition of success in, you know, from my seat. Why'd you want to do this role as opposed to being a coach? Uh, it's a good question. I think, you know, for one, I, when I was, when I was debating whether or not I should go back to school and, and get my MBA, I think, you know, the coaching thing would have been a natural progression had I, you know, played to the end of my career and as long as I possibly could. Um, you know, I was, I've always been a little bit impatient and I think that I saw, you know, within my own family, my uncle Jay, who was an NBA head coach in uh, three different teams now, um, you know, his journey there. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm ready to hang it up and, and pay my dues for 15 or 20 years before I get my shot. Like I'm, I think I, I have a thesis and I know what it is, whether that's, you know, related to investing or related to sports or basketball. I think, I wanted to be in a position where I can learn um, in the hot seat um, as opposed to safety nets all the way until you get your crack. And then if you do well, it looks, it's great. And if you don't, I'm not sure what happens after that. I don't know. I was, I was ready to make that investment for my life. Um, I would say the second piece is because I lived, I've lived away from home for a third of my life, right? I lived, I went to school in New Hampshire and then I went to school in Texas and then I lived in Europe for six years. And so, um, part of me, part of all those experiences were like, you know, my family is here. I want to be here. I want to be around my mom. I want to be around my friends. Um, and I don't know if I'm ready for a life to move, you know, Mm -hmm. from one city to the next, if you lose your job, then you got to move. Um, I want to, I wanted to set up roots and that's just, that was sort of my view at the time. Um, and I've done that and I've, and, you know, it's something I look back on and say, you know, this is what I wanted to do. And I'm, I'm happy because I've been home now for a few years. So I think there were other sort of life factors and like where I was, was going at the time that sort of just led me to say, I'm not going to pursue that. I have little kids. I told you that right before we started this. I know how close and how intimate that relationship was between you and your father and basketball. When did that kind of really start with basketball being a big connector for y'all when you were a kid? Yeah. Um, as early as I can remember. Um, and you know, I wish I had a, an age for you, but I used to go and watch him play in, in, you know, leagues, um, when I was a kid and I was, I was always around the gym. Um, and you know, father-son activities would be going to watch a local university game here uh go and watch Guelph the university that he played at 
Um, and then it, and then it just became, uh, you know, a, a father son relationship, but also like a best friend relationship and competitor. Like when we played, um, you know, I realize it now that I'm not in professional sports, like how competitive I am. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> and I think I got it. I got it from him because I think back on all the times we used to be playing and he, you know, he'll lose it and he'll go crazy. And I'm like, dude, like, and, and now I, now I sort of see it in myself when I'm playing, like I play a few times a week and I'm like, wow, I probably wouldn't want to be on my team. Like this guy's crazy. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so, you know, it was really from the start, but you know, honestly, when I got to high school, he was very much like, you know, this is up to you, what you want to pursue, how hard do you want to work? You know, it was never, you have to do this. You have to do this. He would have supported me if I wanted to, um, you know, be an academic or, or pursue a career in baseball. Uh, mm-hmm. he was, he was, you know, supportive, whatever it was. And so, you know, he just instilled in me the confidence, you know, you make your decisions, you're, you're smart, you're worldly, you're independent guy. And, you know, we'll support you and you'll make a great choice what university you go to and how hard you work and how you conduct yourself. So, um, you know, I, I'm grateful for all that guidance. Was always impressed by the mental approach you took to things, which I imagine it's the same way now in this context of the job that you're working in. But like uh, you, you mentioned the competitiveness that always struck me. It struck everybody that was around you. But like the preparation part was also striking. And so like I still have a screenshot of something you sent me one time that you shared. And it was a script that you used to read before, I think, I guess the start of the day uh, when uh, you you were around the boxer that was training yeah. folks in Waco. Yeah, yeah. But I also just thought like you were always looking for things like that. And that's something that I think is taught too at an early age or maybe it's in high school, middle. I don't know who yeah. impacted you to that stuff? Like who, who showed you that it's more than just a physical thing? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I don't know that there is any one specific person. I think what I would say about that is, um, my uncle Jay, who was the, the coach of the national team. Um, I, I got to play for him. I got to play for other coaches, but he told me something when I was in high school, it's like, you should write down your goals. And I had this NBA you know, the, the notebook that the coaches carry around and it feels like a ball. And I remember, um, writing down stuff in there, like I'm going to make team Canada and I'm going to you know do all this stuff. And at the time people would have said, that's crazy. You know, like I hadn't, I didn't make a team Ontario and I didn't do all this. Um, and so that, that was probably the first step into it. So maybe his sort of wisdom imparted on me. Um, but what I would say over the years is I, I was always very curious um, like I would get fascinated with certain players and it didn't have to be a basketball player. A lot of the time it was like Kobe probably had a big influence on his uh, like work ethic. And, um, but whoever I liked at the time, like I liked JJ Redick a lot when he was at Duke and I used to watch his tape and, you know, anything I could find Steve Nash workout, Ray Allen drill, this, that, you know, I, I, I sort of took these pieces from, from a bunch of different guys and said like, I'm going to be like that. And I got into this mode where I was like, I'm going to work like that. So if it was, you know, when I was at Baylor, it was like, here's how Kobe talks about his, him doing workouts and how competitive he is. It's like, I need to be like that. Um, and so, and then, you know, you mentioned David Hill, who was the, the, the champion boxer that I trained with before I went and started playing pro. Um, and that, and you know, he would have been the, the person who instilled that sort of script, um, 
piece on me. It's like, here's what boxers do. And like the whole boxing mentality is, is just, you're an individual and you're in the ring and you're battling with yourself, um, to, you know, train and, and be ready so, so that when it, you know, when the lights come on and you are, it's time to fight, like you've done all this preparation. So, you know, he was a, he was a big part of that too. And, you know, have to give him credit because the, the, the sort of regimen I was on, I wouldn't have known how to do it myself. Right. And so I think it, it was different people along my journey, um, you know, giving me little bits and then me rolling it all, all up together into some format that worked for me. I remember you being a pretty well-read person too. So if you had to recommend a book to someone you were mentoring, whether it's somebody in the profession in the role you're in now, or it's to a player, what would you recommend and why? Uh, it's a good question. There's a couple different ways you can go with that. Um, I think the book that had the biggest impact on, on me was, uh, is a book that's called the monk who sold his Ferrari. Um, and it's by a guy named Robin Sharma. And I actually read it after university. And so it's not exactly, um, you know, it wasn't applicable to me then, you know, then I wanted to read, you know, Pete Maravich's book or Kobe's book. And I was like, I wasn't reading some unless it was for class. And if it wasn't for class, it was about a, a, a sports player. Yeah. Hoops. Um, but this book, um, you know, I think is, gave me sort of the equanimity to focus on the things that you can control. And people tell you that when, you know, when you're playing collegiate sports, you know, focus on the playing time that you get or the opportunity that you get. This book sort of spreads that across life. And it's more like, you know, what, what do you actually have control of during your day? Um, what do you set your sights on? Is it these, is it material things that you see on Instagram or is it, you know, learning and becoming a better person or helping someone? And like, do you recall the joy that you got out of, you know, do, going out of your way to do something for someone else and how much better that felt than, you know, getting a, a new, um, pair of shoes and how that makes you feel for one day, but then it subdues. And so, um, it definitely had a big impact on the way that I, that I approach sort of this stage of my life anyways, but I think it's applicable to people of all ages on, um, you know, living to help other people and how much you get out of that, as opposed to setting your sights on, um, what's glamorous. You're a pro, right? You were a pro, you are a pro now, and now you oversee like teams and rosters of pros, what's the hardest thing to develop in someone in order to be extraordinary? I think the hardest thing to develop is, is competitiveness. It's uh it's kind of like one of those, if you have it, you have it. And if you don't, you don't. Um, there's some people that are just very talented and they are going to, you know, keep getting chosen by teams, but um you know, you know, from experience, from having them that, that you, they are not going to facilitate you winning a championship or, or for themselves. Um, I think there's rare cases in which those type of people who are just gifted, but not competitive and they don't have the drive can be put around people to elevate them to a, a level where they can contribute and be winners. Um, but that's the number one thing. Like it's something that I look for. It's like, you know, when, when you start a game, 
poorly and, and you're down 10, like who is the guy when everyone's shoulders down to the bench? That's like, let's shake out of this one. Like, okay, that that's done now. Now we're on to the next play. Like, let's get it back. Um, those type of, those type of players are invaluable, I think. Um, and in hindsight, it's probably one of the reasons that I was able to play on, on the teams that I did with the, with the talented guys that I did, because I was, you know, I hated to lose more than I like to win. Um, and I think that that sort of, uh, competitive fire actually rubs off on people and they're like, well, this guy cares so much. Like I better pick it up or people don't like confrontation. So as soon as you confront them, like you're not trying hard enough for us to win, they're going to, they're going to respond in a way, hopefully, depending on how you convey the message that sort of turns the tide on that and, and brings everybody towards it. So that's the hardest, I think, in my opinion, at least at the pro level. What about this? You ever have like this thought in your mind or talk with others about this is like that fine line though, between where you cross it and you almost just become a narcissist where like every single decision aspect of your life is just about yourself and trying to be the best you can be. And, or, you you know, you look around at the end of like your career or something and you don't have any friends or family, you know what I mean? You ever think about that kind of stuff, like for other players and, I mean, I love how you even talked about like you're trying to build your life there and you're connected with people. You got you mentioned your friends early, your family. I know you just got engaged. Like you're the person that also had a lot of these things, even though you're yeah. extremely competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think my approach was always you need to be careful how you channel it. Um, there are certain areas of your life where you don't have to be competitive, um, you know, one of those is in a relationship. Um, you know, they mentioned I recently got engaged and that the last thing that I think I want to do is try and compete at home, you know? Um, so there's, I think there's sort of the, you need to come to a realization of where the right arenas are to do that. Um, and I think for me, primarily that's inside the lines, um, you know, playing basketball, it's also, you know, and in in the role as a GM, of course, you want to win the championship. And when you do, you can he's often tell everybody they did a great job this season because you achieved the goal that you set out for. Um, and then it's it's back to the drawing board on the next one. So I think, um, you know, read the monk who sold his Ferrari, and then you'll have a you'll have an idea of how to how to know when and when not to control those those sort of emotions. I got one last question for you because I know you're busy. I always thought you were really gifted at this was in regards to timing about knowing when it's time to transition from something to the next thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, I think you could articulate that in your playing career of different yeah. things, but then also you had the, you know, the past few years, the transition from player to, okay, I'm going to do the NBA thing and, and then do this. Yeah. And you kind of like unpack, what things helped you in regards to understanding it's time? Yeah. Um, so, you know, what I would say if I, if I think about sort of my life in chapters so far, um, there was, uh, the, the majority of my life was dedicated to basketball. Um, but I was very fortunate that I had, um, a father who was a successful, uh, businessman and a mom and a mom who was an educator. Um, and so 
those things were always a priority no matter what I did. Um, like I was, you know, I was on the Dean's list at Baylor. I think every semester I was there and it wasn't like I went out of my way to sacrifice other things. It was just like, this is what you take care of and here's your priority. I know you're there to play basketball, but you will handle this. There's no debate around that. Um, so for a long time, it was, it was, you know, basketball and, and pursuing that dream and that goal. And I was, you know, I, I think I exceeded, you know, people's expectations, um, certainly of how far I would go in my career, but I knew that I could do it. I think when I think about timing and knowing when it's, when it's time to, to move on, there's only been one time in my life where there was a, a major decision and that was to stop playing, um, and what I could say is, you know, from those early days of having the right sort of things instilled in me, I, I set myself up to make that transition. There's a lot of people who would have said, I went to university and I played basketball and that's great. And then you go and play pro. But did you have good enough grades when you were in university to then put your name in uh, for an application? Or do you have the discipline within yourself to study for, a, you know, a, a GMAT? Um, do you want to go in somewhere and be a novice where you don't know anything when you're coming from everybody treating you like, you know, first class flight and you play for Canada and you play in all these great places. Like there's, I think that is a difficult transition for some people to, um, humble themselves and say, I'm willing to go in at the bottom of, of a totem pole to start something new. Um, I think for me, it's, it's what makes life interesting. I think when I look back on my professional career, I, you know, I went to training camp with the Timberwolves out of Baylor and I did zero NBA workouts. Right. So I went to summer league and earned that spot. I, you know, great. I didn't make the team, but what an experience. Then I went and played uh, in Europe and I made money and I went back to training camp with the Raptors on a partially guaranteed deal and said, this is my last shot at making the NBA. Um, I'm going to give it my all ended up being a fantastic year and we won a championship. And then, you know, went back to Europe and said, okay, you know, I was, I was 29 at the time and it's like, I could keep playing until I'm 35, but I know for sure if I come back then I'm not going to, nobody's going to want a 35 year old sort of, um, you know, low level person who wants to get into, you know, whatever the business world or the investment world um, and so for me, it was sort of putting those pieces together and saying, okay, I've, I've, I've had a pretty good run. I want to go out being great and not, you know, someone who moves to the end of the bench and this is our, our vet. I just didn't want that. Um, so I think I just sort of threw myself into a, a, a situation where it's, you know, just as demanding as professional sports, but in a totally different way. Like, well, you had the workload when you're doing an MBA is, is, you know, more more schoolwork than I've ever done in, in any point of my academic journey. Um, and it was, you know, fascinating to learn all these different things and learn about a whole, you know, different side of the world that I didn't know about. Um, and so, you know, when I look back on it and I say, oh, there's definitely some days when I go into the office and I'm like, oh, I wish I was sitting in my apartment in Europe and going to get a coffee instead of doing this. But, um you know, that's, that's, that's the same thing happens when you're over there. There's good days and bad days. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't have any regrets and I'm, you know, fortunate for basketball that gave me the opportunity to do those things that got me to where I am today. Um, and so I just need to, you know, try and pay it forward to people who are doing the same thing and do as well as I can. Thank you so much for listening to the coaching doc podcast. 
We know there are a lot of podcasts out there, so we're grateful that you chose us. If you'd like to learn more about the work that we do, please visit our website, www.coachandoc.com.